Welcome to the New Zealand Tech Podcast, presented by Paul Spain and guests. Welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. We're at episode number 142. You're with Paul Spain. Bill Bennett. And Alistair Cook. Welcome along, guys. Great to have you both here. Hi, Paul. Good to be back after such a long absence. Yeah, it's been a while. When were you last on, Alistair? Uh, back when it was about episode number 67, I think. Wow. Long I, time I can't ago. remember that long ago. I must have just been a small child. <laughs> it sounds like years ago. Um, now, Alistair, just remind us where you fit into the technology community in New Zealand. So I, w- I work in enterprise IT, particularly around virtualization with VMware products, both teaching and consulting and writing uh, for Tech Target about that. Excellent. And uh, Bill? Well, I'm just moving to a new life where I'm running a um, technology news agency called Digital. That's digital without the A, .co.nz. Um should be up and running by the end of this month. We're we're doing a bit of a soft launch at the moment, so there's a few stories appearing now. Um, end of which month? August or uh, July? Oh, sorry, um, end of August. Yeah, <laughs> I was I was thinking yeah. though we're just on the we're just on the edge tonight, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. and um, I'm working on that with the guys from Geek Zone and Scoop. So. Excellent. All right, so uh, so we'll we'll be seeing a lot more of your content uh, going forward. I hope in so. New Zealand because you've been writing a lot for uh, for Australian yeah, media and yeah. so on as well, right? So this yeah. uh, puts puts the focus very much on your your own property uh, in in conjunction with with Geek Zone and, and Scoop for uh, sharing the content out there. Yeah, my focus is very much on New Zealand as well. Great. Oh, that's good. Well, let's uh, let's jump in. As always, there's uh, there's a few bits and pieces to cover. Uh, now, first up, there was uh, a bit of a story. Uh, this week, yesterday, uh, with some websites going offline. The government ones, or ones related to the government. Yeah, yeah, we did John Key's website and a, a range of other um, uh, MP, of the other MPs, national MPs uh, websites went down. Now, we heard that these were all uh, yeah, hosted on one particular uh, server, mm. I believe, so it was, uh, you know, wasn't wasn't particularly hard by the sounds of it for uh, these to be taken uh, taken offline and uh, those who were claiming responsibility were anonymous NZ who we've never heard of before and we don't know and would presume they wouldn't have any relation to um, the, the the anonymous hackers group sort of globally but uh, I guess piggybacking on um, on on their name. Um, Kim.com wasn't very happy with them. No, he was sort of tweeting <laughs> saying, hey, this actually isn't isn't helpful to his cause. And uh, in fact, they were asking for an apology to be made uh, to all New Zealanders and to Kim.com by the government uh, in order for them to uh, um, bring these websites back online again. What, what was that about? Hasn't John Key already apologised to... Uh, to Kim.com? Yeah, I think he has. But um, um, the thing is, is that the, the problem is, is they're actually attacking... Well, they're not. it's not so much they're attacking the wrong target, but the way they're going about this isn't helpful because actually they're perpetuating the the myths that worry the people that are... You know that are worried and doing this stuff. So right, because I mean they've attached this to the GCSB uh, bill, and yeah, you think this? Do you think this may have a negative a negative consequence, or do you think it's it's just something that's going to fly by and not have? Uh, I don't think too much attention unless they keep doing it. I mean, if we keep seeing well, constant things happening, look, the uh, smart thing for the government, the smart thing for the government, the ministers to have done would have been to ignore it and just shrug it off as no big deal. Um, I don't think they're. I don't think they're helping their cause by reacting either. But that's 
you know that's the nature of these things mm. any uh, any thoughts there uh, Alistair were, were you, uh, did you think this was a good or a, or a bad thing um I kind of feel like it's uh, some people who are being naughty children and uh, that, that the best response to naughty children is to ignore the naughty things. The more attention you give somebody for doing something naughty, the more, more they'll do it. So uh, even us talking about it is probably encouraging these, these people who I, I think also, like, like you, I think they've been independent, not affiliated with anywhere, any, anywhere else and not doing any particularly aggressive attacks. Um, let's, let's not give them any more encouragement to, to upscale things. Yeah, and it's not the kind of um, fabulously exciting technology they're using to do the attacks, which means they're all going to get great jobs in security for the rest of their lives. Does it? I wouldn't <laughs> say it was a career-positive move no. to align with this. Mm. Well, I guess that's why the, uh, there's a reason to stay anonymous in all of this. Uh, now, internet connectivity to New Zealand, it's something that we, you know, we discuss from time to time. Um, now, you know, both the connectivity from our, our homes and mobile devices to the internet and, uh, and the connectivity between New Zealand and, uh, and the rest of the world. Now, Bill, there's been, uh, I guess, a couple of, uh, couple of uh, stories in relation to that uh, this week, uh, one with the Southern Cross cable and one with another potential cable. Um, maybe you can you can fill us in. I did read um, the piece you put up on uh, on on digital uh, this week uh, around the Southern Cross cable. So maybe start with that. Well, the Southern Cross made an, uh, the a press release went out from Southern Cross today. It's the first press release I think since about September last year, which is kind of a bit of a coincidence considering that um, Hawaii made their announcement yesterday about landing their cable in Fongaray. Um Clearly, there's some politics and some PR positioning and so on going on around there. Um, and there's, there's, a, there's a bit of a question mark over what Southern Cross actually announced. They, they, they talked about their new technology, which um, increases the capacity of their cable. Well, that's always been on the cards. I mean, they talked about that, in, they talked about that a year ago, um, about that coming. And that they, they now say that's implemented, uh, which takes their network up, I think, to 12 terabits per second um, across the Pacific. That's plenty for the next, you know, next five or six years for New Zealand. Um, the last time we looked, I think we're still only running about ten percent of the potential capacity of that network. So we're not, we're not closing down on that number. But the reason why people are so interested in there being another cable is, well, because they need another cable because we've got a monopoly provider, which doesn't appear to be abusing their monopoly on price, but it, it does mean there's. And it's not a single point of failure in technical terms because they've got two lines in. But three lines into New Zealand or four lines into New Zealand or eight lines into New Zealand is a lot safer than would two. Be, would be, wouldn't it? Would be, yeah. would be safer. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it, it seems at the moment we do hear noises of people saying, oh, my, inter my international internet performance is, is, is poor. Um, that Southern Cross's fault. Uh, but I mean, I, I find certainly if you're using a major uh, internet provider, then usually they've got adequate bandwidth for most sorts of things. There are some technical challenges with with distance that mean for you know streaming video and and, and other types of things. Gamers, um, I think, have you problems, know, big yeah. downloads. Yeah. It's much better if the data is coming from a, a closer location. Um, 
that's right, isn't it? You're, you're a lot more uh, clued up on uh, probably these IP so I'm, uh, I'm uh, subjects than me, Alistair. Looking at, particularly looking at long distance kind of latency and throughput discussions. And as Bill says, the, you can't change the speed of light. Um, latency goes up as you get further away. So getting to a game server in the US, uh, your latency is going to be high. And, and that's why Kim.com uh, has made so much effort for his internet connectivity. And uh, I believe was going to fly a guy down here to make sure it wasn't a latency issue that was the difference between him being the champion and, and Kim being the champion. <laughs> but the, the, the element I think here is that, that as, as Paul says, that's often down to the ISP to contract for a certain amount of bandwidth and then to decide how much to overcommit to that bandwidth against the number of people that they have. Not just, we, we're used to that idea of the exchange that I'm in has a limited amount of bandwidth and there are 400 people using the same exchange is going to give me less bandwidth than if there are only 20. Uh, I live really rural, so these small numbers count. Uh, the same applies when the ISP itself has aggregated lots and lots of people's connections into one place, which is their central provision set of bandwidth to, to overseas the more they buy relative to the number of, of users they have, the better they're going to be. But they do long-term contracts. And so if there's a yeah. sudden bulge, they, they get really successful at selling a new product. The amount of bandwidth they've got for overseas doesn't go up instantly. Yeah, and, and, we've and the seen other, that happen in the past with the, you know, the likes of Walk-On, I think, where they had some real issues for, you know, for a period of time. Those unlimited plans are famous for that. The other thing is, is the, the way that the ISPs buy bandwidth is they actually, um, they don't buy, they don't go shopping for bandwidth at Southern Cross. What happens is there are, there are aggregators who buy a whole bundle of bandwidth and then sell it to the, um, the ISPs. Um, so there is a bit of flexibility there. But you're right, the, the, um, the problems are not the cable. The problems are the way, the, way people are buying bandwidth yeah. on the cable. And to a certain extent, you get what you pay for. Yeah, if, yeah. if you buy a cheap service, you should expect to get lower quality. If you pay significantly more, and, and often it is significantly more to get a good quality service, then you should be expecting to get that, that better quality. That, that, that's right. But the, 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 the thing about the new cable is to say it's not really about the extra um, bandwidth that it will provide. There will actually be quite a lot. I think it's 20 terabits. Uh, per second connection. If when and, it's, and when putting it's that in, in perspective in terms of, of throughputs, if every every household in, in the country had an ultra-fast broadband connection, we still wouldn't be filling those pipes. No, no. That's, that's, so you know, the, yeah. there's other, other places where the bandwidth is consumed. Obviously, lots of business bandwidth is high. But this is vast amounts of bandwidth already available to us. And, and the, the redundancy and security of these links starts to be what we see as being the benefit of having more of them yeah and that's and and that's that's absolutely vital i mean we, we you know if there's a one in a thousand chance of one going down then there's a one in a million chance of two going down well one in a million chance you wouldn't bank your life on a one in a million chance we shouldn't bank our economy on a one in a million chance well the way the statistics work it's there's actually a vastly higher than one in a million I know, chance I know, I know. and the other thing i, I noticed about the the announcement on this um Those this cable, numbers yeah <laughs> the, the other thing i noticed about the um the announcement on this cable that i thought was really cool was that there was taps coming off the cable to a lot of the pacific islands that currently have very little bandwidth available and that could be a huge enabler yeah, and I think that'll be good for New Zealand as well. I think it'll make us closer to those islands as well. Particularly since many people in New Zealand have families still in those islands yeah. and, and possibly leave the islands because the employment opportunities 
aren't necessarily as good, and and maybe this will help to make better. Uh, I would think it had to be. It would have to be good for uh, you know for some of the uh, Pacific Island uh, uh, economies. I mean, there there is already um, you know some some connectivity, uh, but uh, yeah, having having another uh, another you know, series of uh, of connections like this would be uh, would be great. Now, oh. I did just look up some figures. Now, um, the Southern Cross cables were upgraded uh, to 1.2 uh, terabits in May 2010, and they've just gone to 2.4 uh, terabits as the uh, the new uh, connection, I believe. But, the, 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 but Southern Cross is saying their total capacity is now 12. Yeah, and I think that's when you break it down yeah. because, you know, you've got, you know, two two ways of getting to yeah. Australia and the US and so on and you know between those different segments if you add add them all up uh, you could say in, in you know in total from one point to the next point and then that point yeah. to the next point sort of thing uh, but it's, yeah it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a huge amount of uh, bandwidth that's uh, that's fairly certain uh, but you you need that for a uh, for a big country at, at particularly uh, as we increase our usage going forward, and and I remember talking to the guys from uh, Mega not so long ago in the last couple of weeks, and they said that their business um, that now has more bandwidth than the whole of New Zealand, which yeah kind of puts us into perspective a bit. Yeah, well, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to get a breakdown, you know, a little bit more detail on that particular statement, and uh, uh, that's probably something we can we can hit them up for, um, <laughs> but. Uh, yeah, if if they're doing as well as as the old uh, uh, mega upload was doing, then uh, yeah, it would it would be considerably more than uh, New Zealand's capacity because uh, they were taking up a reasonably sizable chunk of the global yeah. internet capacity. Yeah. Uh, all right, now moving along, a few other topics. Uh, we have a new podcast uh, launching this week in New Zealand, the New Zealand uh, Business Podcast. So there's going to be a range of uh, topics on that. So if you're in the business world, uh, we encourage you to uh, to listen in and to uh, to check that out. Uh, there will be some episodes that are uh, that are uh, in some ways similar to our NZ Tech Podcast episodes, with sort of you know general sort of roundtable discussions. Uh, other times we will uh, we will sit in and capture particular uh, events that we think might be uh, might be interesting. Uh, and there'll be one-on-one chats with uh, with with entrepreneurs and and, and business people, uh, and so on. Uh, and sometimes there'll be content that uh, may have uh, been in the NZ Tech podcast that we think uh, might be of interest to a broader uh, tech audience. So uh, one of the episodes we've got captures our discussion with uh, Rod Drury from uh, from from zero from a few weeks ago, uh, and that's going to be wrapped up and delivered to the uh, the business podcast audience. Uh, but I know uh, a lot of our listeners may not be so interested in uh, in the business podcast, but they might know people that uh, are in business and should be listening. So uh, any help that uh, you can give us in uh, in spreading the word on that would be uh, would be much appreciated. You need to have an American accent and say something. And now a word from our sponsors. <laughs> <laughs> no, stop that. Uh, <laughs> we're Kiwis here. Um, now Vodafone, they've uh, they've been quietly, well, not so quietly actually. They've been bumping their uh, their network uh, speeds up around the country, uh, and I think they've hit their uh, their sixth location. And uh, our mighty capital Wellington has uh, has finally got uh, 4G this week, and uh, they've done their, their little uh, announcement. Uh, after what have we got? Well, Auckland came on uh, on track first. Mm. We've had uh, uh, Christchurch, Queenstown, uh, Queenstown uh, Wanaka. Lake Brunner. Lake Brunner was it, and uh, and now Wellington. Taupo. 
Taupo. Taupo. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So uh, yeah. So that's that's good. I uh, I think we've got to be. Uh, uh, well, I'm sure they're mindful that uh, October is when telecom starts rolling out their 4G or LTE uh, network. So, uh, you know, they're, they're trying to uh, make as much noise and get as much, much attention for that uh, as as possible. I have to say it's bloody fast. Am I allowed to say bloody fast? <laughs> it's it's well, very you, fast. You, you've said it, haven't you? <laughs> it's very fast. <laughs> Um, it's actually faster than I get broadband at home across ADSL, so um, extremely fast. Yeah, it's good, isn't it? And yeah. and you know, we were talking earlier before we started that uh, you know, in time we are going to get these bigger data caps, and they talk about all the things you can do on uh, on a on a 4G LTE connection. Uh, and you know, often it's talked about you know, streaming movies and 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 so on. Now, there's not too much of that you would do. On the current data caps, but uh, yeah, 4G will become the norm over time. And you know, I'm I'm guessing the premium that we pay for that service at the moment uh, will ultimately drop off, and it will become available certainly for all of their business customers. And we've seen this in other markets where maybe prepay customers don't get access uh, to the full you know the full speed. Certainly not initially, uh, but you know, business customers will get that at the moment. I think you're paying. Uh, unless you're on one of their top, uh, yeah, hundred and twenty dollar up plans, you're paying an extra ten dollars a month for access to that. But it is really nice having those uh, those top speeds, and it's great to see uh, you know New Zealand staying you know re- reasonably at the forefront on these things. We're not too far behind, uh, um, yeah, US and uh, Australia. It's a, a little bit behind, but uh, well, not, not, say, a, not a decade behind. It's anyway. very interesting the way that it's been deployed in Wellington because it's it's pretty much on the flat bits. And up the and up the Hutt Valley, um, you can get it at some various points around the harbour. Mm. Probably, I don't know Days Bay, but you know places like that around the harbour are covered. Well, I guess they pick the spots that are easiest to uh, you know to implement yeah. to, to start with in some ways. And and if you've got a simpler topology, then you know there's less. Uh, probably less effort in many ways to uh, you know to get it running in those yeah. places. You certainly you reach a bigger audience, I would think. Yeah, I saw a I, I saw a demonstration of the technology about well, probably more than two years ago now, when it was uh, you know really was just a demonstration um, of what could what was possible at the time, and they they had um, two three D TVs running across the network. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's quite impressive, actually. Yeah, it is good, and the uh, the thing that we we forget is you know four G was a technology that was mooted for you know a long long time, and uh, the LTE standard that most of the world is 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 going to uh, now is you know I mean streets ahead of of some of the stuff that they were talking about uh, a decade ago. In fact, even you know the variants of three G we've got now are actually really really fast. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so the the four G or LTE as the technology is uh, called. Uh, is is pretty fantastic actually. Uh, now looking at uh, gadgets, uh, there's been a bit of coverage in the uh, particularly in the US media around Google's new uh, Nexus Seven uh, tablet. Now that of course they launched their first one uh, last year, and we bought one of those back from uh, uh, from the US because it took some time before it uh, it got into the New Zealand market and was was priced quite a bit higher here actually. Uh, but it, it was, uh, you know, it was a, a reasonably uh, a standout device when when the first Nexus Seven came out. Uh, but the new one is uh, is attracting a whole fresh round of uh, of attention. Now it's not Google that actually uh, makes it. I think it's made by um, ASUS again, who made uh, made the uh, the first one 
last year, and we're uh, we're talking about a um, a little seven inch tablet that has a um, a pretty stunning screen. You're talking um, uh, slightly more than full uh, full high definition on that on that screen, which we have seen on on smartphones. Uh, but it's coming in at a pretty uh, sharp uh, starting price point of uh, 199 US dollars uh, before tax. Um, what uh, what do you guys think of this from a uh, from a pricing uh, perspective? Ah, oh, no, actually, I'm reading here uh, 229. Which of those figures is correct? It'll depend on the wirelesses, the, the wireless capabilities that are built in, whether the uh, LTE is built into it, whether it's the 16 or 32 gig. Oh, hold on, no. When it was so launched last year, it was 199. The new model starts at 229 for a 16, uh, 16 gigabyte model with Wi Fi uh, and 269 for a 32 gig uh, Wi Fi model. And then there are going to be uh, variants with 4G um, LTE uh, coming as well. So, in varying. Uh, uh, price points by the sounds of it so uh, but a, a reasonably uh, sharply priced uh, device and it's got uh, it's the first tablet I think we've seen with uh, wireless charging in it right yeah are, are people buying um, tablets with built-in 4g um, I mean I, I got a Wi-Fi one and I just use I just um, use it with my phone I thought that's what most people do these days yeah, I think I think it does it does vary. There's there is definitely a demand, and I like that convenience of having it built in. But I must say, uh, I've tended to use the built-in connections much much less with uh, you know now that the tethering capabilities of most phones are really good. Uh, but it does come in part way down to your battery life and how much you're going to use it, yeah. and how much you use it out and about. Most of the time, I'm using a tablet. I'm you know in the office. Or at home, or at another location where there is well, uh, where, there, where there is Wi-Fi, because Wi-Fi is you know becoming so uh, ubiquitous. That's kind of my point. I mean, I think I've I think I've had to tether my tablet probably twice in the last six months. I had to I had to tether my laptop once in the last six months. So so you know what I'm saying? It's not that it's not that often you're away from mm. Wi-Fi when you're using a tablet. Or at least I'm not. Mm. So I think the um, I think the Wi-Fi ones will fly pretty much like i think the wi-fi other tablets fly yeah that, that's that i think that's the bulk of the market now yeah. um a couple of interesting things about uh the the nexus 7 it's got the next version of android on it uh 4.3 that was released last week um they're still calling it uh, jelly bean so they haven't given a new name uh with this uh this update and one of the uh one of the standout uh features with with this release is um what they're calling restricted profiles and uh, it allows you you know basically have multiple uh, user accounts that can use that one tablet and we've seen that with windows uh, 8 and 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 8.1 and you know that was has been one of the i guess its differentiators as opposed to uh, or you know as it competes with with android uh, and with um, you know ios on the on the ipad uh, but now we're seeing uh, we're seeing Google move uh, pretty swiftly here to uh, you know to give you those sorts of uh, um, you know those sorts of things having these different uh, uh, profiles. So uh, yeah, looks interesting. 
Um, and yeah, that screen is is really uh, pretty pretty high uh, high definition. Um, and I think we're talking about a um, a five megapixel uh, rear camera, so a reasonable quality um, you know camera for a tablet. They don't tend to have as good. Uh, cameras as we see on our smartphones, um, which is fair enough considering how cheap these tablets are. Uh, next to a next to a phone, they're a, they're a fraction of the price, uh, and a uh, 1.2 megapixel uh, forward-facing camera on this one. So, yeah, looks uh, looks nice. Either of you interested in uh, in the Nexus 7? Do you like to use a small uh, tablet, Alistair? I really like my Nexus 7, so I I picked one up pretty much a week after they arrived in New Zealand. Uh, impulse buy because it was priced at the kind of space where you can do that mm. uh, it's not a to spend a month thinking through the decision and used it solidly really liked it one of the the cool things about this size of tablet is that it fits in the back pocket of my jeans <laughs> and you know you can't say that about the uh, the ipad that was out at the time the huge screen resolution on this is, is going to be an interesting thing because once you get to these really high resolutions, it becomes irrelevant, the resolution, if you, unless you're holding the thing very close. Um, and that's the whole point about the retina display was that you couldn't pick out, at normal distance, you couldn't pick out the, dis- the, um, the pixels. This, this particular display is over 300 pixels per inch, and so that's even higher pixel density than the, uh, your iPhone for your retina iPhone and so to see the pixels you'd have to hold it much closer to your face don't see myself holding a 7 inch screen 2 no. inches from my face no I, I, I'm um, I, I passed on the um, on the Nexus but then we all know what I think about Android tablets <laughs> yeah we'll, I, I think we'll, we've we'll, heard we'll, uh, we'll leave it there on uh, on on that one uh, otherwise we'll get into a into a huge uh, debate now uh now, a couple of other gadgets that we've looked at uh, recently. One that we all just looked at um, about an hour ago was uh, Netgear's new um, push-to-TV wireless display adapter. Yeah. Now, this is a real... I mean, it's smaller than a smartphone, just a little device. You power it with a USB uh, connection, although it seemed we weren't getting quite enough power out of the TV's USB uh, connection to uh, to drive it. Uh, but you you basically you know, plug in a USB into one side, HDMI into the other, uh, and what you are able to do is to push uh, or mirror the the screen off your uh, you know your laptop, your tablet, uh, or your smartphone onto your uh, onto your TV screen. And uh, yeah, this is um, this is the best I, I've seen of these devices, and yeah, you know, we've been trying them out uh, for, you know, probably for for a couple of uh, couple of years. Uh, but it works really, really broadly. So uh, with, for instance, uh, a lot of the Windows uh, 8 devices, when they upgrade to Windows 8.1, which has the Miracast uh, support uh, built into it, which is one of the uh, technologies that push to TV from uh, from Netgear supports, uh, you will basically just be able to take what's on your screen and just treat it as though you've actually plugged in a second monitor, except there's no wire. So it uses those same... Uh, yeah, options that you would normally use within Windows to sort of control a uh, uh, you know projector or another uh, monitor connection, and it seemed pretty snappy, right, guys? It seemed on on Windows, it seemed to work very well. Yeah, it was a lovely piece of kit. Yeah, we well, used it on the Android device as well. 
Yeah. What yeah, was your that, pick on that? Was that's, the quality that seemed to have some artifacting in it. It just didn't quite seem to cope as well as as the Windows build. Now that may well just be down to an, an update required. Yeah. Um, from the, the software on the Android. Device. But still impressive. Oh and, yes. um, I, I guess it's one of these things. It's an interim device. At some point, that that technology will be built directly into TVs and so on. Well, yeah, and there are some TVs that that already have that uh, yeah. you know built in the the Miracast support. But they uh, tend to just support either Miracast or WideEye, yeah. and this, mm. that's one of the cool things about this device supporting both. That's and true. I think when, yeah. the, when there is yeah. a single standard for it, a single chipset that supports all the standards, that's when you'll see it yeah. in every TV. Mm. But it, but it's it's a it's a lovely thing to have. Well, I, I look forward to the day when I can turn up at my hotel room because I spend a lot of time staying in hotels with my work and I don't have to take a big laptop and I can take something small but still use the big screen. Yeah, well, I guess you can uh, You can take one of these right now. I think they're, uh, I'm not sure about small the... enough to, uh, to, to, to take with me because yeah. it looked to be about sort of five credit cards in size. You stack up five credit cards, that's the size of the thing. It's yeah, it's, it's not that big, isn't it? I think um, 80 US dollars is the, was the um, international pricing. Uh, so I haven't actually checked the New Zealand pricing yet, but I'm, I'm picking we're going to be talking... Uh, yeah, hundred and hundred and uh, yeah, twenty or, or or so within the uh, within the New Zealand market. Certainly, unlikely to be more than one hundred and fifty, including uh, GST. So, uh, um, yeah, re- reasonably affordable. I mean, there are a range of these devices, uh, you know, these types of products around, but uh, this one is is nice and uh, and small and uh, yeah, pretty convenient. Uh, now, oh, I have just seen some pricing for it and. Uh, yeah, in fact, uh, it's available at um, retailers like uh, Noel Lemming for a hundred dollars. So wow. actually, that's pretty uh, that's pretty reasonable pricing for uh, for is. New Zealand market. It um, is that, that's marginally over the exchange rate difference. Yeah. yeah. Well, and then you have got to add on GST. So once you cover that, actually, sort of yeah, un- certainly under the US uh, mm. retail. So um, yeah, that 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 looks good. Thoroughly recommended based on our uh, few minutes and with a brief it. Experience. What yeah. the the key, I guess the key thing using the uh, Miracast technology rather than WiDi that I've I've used on uh, um, on laptops uh, before on on Ultrabooks uh, it just seemed to be more reliable at connecting uh, and that's using the beta of Windows 8.1. Uh, so uh, yeah, I found WiDi sometimes a bit flaky. So yeah, quite pleased with that. Uh, now, Samsung, there have been some um, some rumours floating around about uh, smartwatch coming to uh, coming to market from Samsung fairly soon. Do we I, need do we need smartwatches? Do you? I, I think that it's something that I want, but I don't need. And I, I suspect that it's something that after th- six months of owning it will go in a drawer and I'd never worry. People I, said that about the iPad, remember? Mm-hmm. And oh, look yes. at how and, broad and tablets smartphone. are now. No, yeah. I, I don't agree. I, I've... I've I don't see, I mean, I see smartwatches as being hugely successful when they first go on sale for precisely those kinds of reasons that everyone will think, hmm, we'll have a look at this. You know, this could this could make a difference. This could be great. I think they'll be one of those things which are a flash in the pan. They'll be around for a year or so, maybe a bit longer, and then we'll all be bored and move on. Yeah. And I think the evidence of that is what happened with mobile phones. Mobile phones got smaller and smaller and smaller. And then suddenly we started getting smartphones and they got bigger and bigger and bigger. And why did they get bigger and bigger and bigger? Because we wanted the bigger screens. And I reckon that, you know, a screen that's an inch across or an inch and a half across, whatever it is, whatever the, um, the non-metric size of these things will be, 
will pretty soon pale for a lot of people. Yeah, I, I mean, I think the experiences so far have been uh, disappointing, but you know, I don't know what they're actually going to come out with. So I'm, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm keeping an open mind on this one. Uh, yeah, I've got an open mind, but do you know what I think? I think the um, the gadget manufacturers they're just they're headless chooks. They're running around. They're looking at all sorts of things like glasses and watches and so. Well, on. I think glasses would probably would supersede a, a, a watch. Would be would be my pick. Yeah, but I still think these are all interim devices I think they're all some they're stopped until sort of you can be plugged into the wireless matrix <laughs> and I, th- I think Paul you you we see the, the glasses form factor work because you routinely wear glasses I don't Yeah. and so the glasses form factor would be a, a bigger intrusion for me than a watch so uh, I think there's potential right. for multiple ways of having this secondary device to your secondary device I think so but I think I think that we're heading towards something and we're not sure where it's going. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. The, the, this, this ground is not finished. Yeah. The other thing is that smartwatches are not new. Uh, no. if, if you've got a bit of grey hair hanging around, you'll remember the spot watch. That, uh, and and uh, there was another one where you held the watch up to the screen and, and you got, got something that looked like static on the screen would transfer data to it. And I have one in about 1982 which had Space Invaders on the watch. Oh, those were really <laughs> cool. Those, those were cool. Uh, now, um, one one other gadget that it's been around for a while, but uh, we only just got it in here um, a few weeks ago. And it, how would you describe it? Does it look like an eye on a stick? It, it looks like a miniature eye of Sauron. Yeah, it's yeah, actually, <laughs> that's absolutely true. Uh, now, what we're talking about is uh, Logitech's BCC nine fifty. Now, um, you know. A, 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 um, a, a difficult name to remember but uh, basically this is their little video conferencing uh, camera and you know, I guess a lot of you know, meeting rooms and boardrooms and, and so on they've got these little uh, you know, uh, vi- uh, audio conferencing uh, phones which uh, you know, sit around on the desk and so on and, and get used from time to time and often those things are thousand, $1,500, $2,000 uh, units. Um, now, I've been trying uh, trying the, um, the, the Logitech um, conference camera out in, in a couple of meetings and uh, using them with aud- just as, a, as an audio conferencing unit and also with the video camera. Uh, and it's actually very, very good. You can have someone sitting a reasonable distance away uh, and it works in a similar manner to those conferencing uh, conferencing devices, but using uh, you know things like uh, Skype or, or, or Link in a, in a you know um, for its video uh, conferencing or audio conferencing capabilities. And you can sit a reasonable distance away, picks it up well, uh, not having any feedback issues. They're going to be all the rage once we get UFB. Mm. Well, it's just it's going to become more normal, isn't it? And you yeah. do need that faster upload to make video conferencing work you know work well so now we've got vdsl becoming a a, just a really common uh you know internet connection option within new zealand with you know upload speeds that have gone from you know what what we've been limited to for years and years at one megabit to 10 megabits and then obviously ultra fast broadband able to deliver you know much much more than that but you know 10 on the on the basic uh, plans uh, this sort of device does start to become uh, much more useful and I think the price point of it is around four hundred dollars uh, in in New Zealand so I just saw a list of under 300 yeah okay yeah yeah so well, um, that's what we need we need yeah. consumer devices to give make video conferencing 
work. I mean, mm. you can do video conferencing quite nicely off of most laptops. Yeah, you can uh, do it quite well with a built-in, but if you want to put a, you know, a few yeah. people around a table and so on, this uh, this is a sort of device that you need the noise, uh, yeah, noise cancelling microphones yeah. and those makes kinds it much of more practical. Yeah, yeah. and particularly if not, you're not all gathered around that little laptop microphone, which I mean, is a uh, bit dodgy. Yeah, <laughs> and, and there are some good webcams as well that have you know have more advanced sort of noise cancelling. Um, you know, cancelling out the echoes and so mm-hmm. on, uh, type microphones. But uh, yeah, this this definitely sort of uh, yeah stood out for me in uh, in the testing. Um, and the, the full HD cam also makes makes quite a lot of difference in terms of the quality of doing a, a video conference. Um, it may, yeah. you know, being able to actually see expressions rather than seeing blurs where people are uh, if you've got a group of people. Oh, we have that issue because we because my children are overseas and we do FaceTimes and Skypes and so on to them in Paris and you get a lot of that blurring. And um, Yeah, and, it, and it, of course if, if you're on a limited bandwidth plan or limited throughput it yeah. starts to pixelate well, well, as well. I think, we're, I think we're good at our end. I think it's their end is well yeah, yeah kids overseas they'll be uh, using the cheapest internet provider they can find and, and they can't blame the southern cross cable for that um in paris they all get free wi-fi which they steal because because people chalk the wi-fi num- uh, passwords up on the street corners that's great <laughs> well i wish all communications were more modern my phone just rang there and uh it told me that the call was from austria but i have no idea who it was that's old school technology all right uh, that, that's about all I knew. Didn't know who was calling, so um, I wasn't going to take the call. Now, we, we, we couple, uh, a couple more things to uh, to to talk about. Uh, Netflix. Now, I know um, a bunch of our our listeners have uh, have uh, got themselves hooked up to Netflix, uh, which there's definitely a few hoops to jump uh, through to to get into Netflix because it's designed. Uh, really for the US market, but uh, we've got a page up there at nztechpodcast.com with uh, um, with 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 the uh, with the details on how to how to get into Netflix. Um, but they've just launched, uh, or they're in the process of launching these individual user profiles. So uh, at the moment, when I go into Netflix, it's just one profile for the whole family. Uh, so uh, if my youngsters been uh, been watching kids programs then you know it'll go up it's going to you know start recommending that i might want to watch thomas the tank engine or or something like that which doesn't actually fit with my uh, personal uh, you know uh, TV and movie watching or at uh, least that's what you'd like us to think <laughs> yeah, yeah. so uh, yeah so but these new profiles mean you'll basically be able to you know log in with a different profile for uh, for each person which will be uh, will be nice and quite unusual, actually, that it is a you know it's a service that you don't pay a subscription per person. You do get that family subscription, mm. and they're actually you know pushing it more in that direction. Whether they'll push their rates up uh, in line with that after doing it, uh, I guess we'll have to wait and see. And that may be yeah something on their agenda at some point. But uh, I suspect I if they, they start positive. finding that that wider families, so uh, Bill's paying for a subscription and his his kids overseas are uh, logging in as family members, <laughs> and and then he, it turns out that he's actually got a family of 85 people uh, that there'll be some some issues around billing then well there are there there are some limitations that i think it's uh you know you can have two live streams at once uh you can't have 85 so um yeah um any anyone with 85 kids i think um can't afford netflix uh well yeah that might be true that's Uh, um that's brad and angelina isn't it (laughs) (laughs) in that case they can afford netflix Yeah. yeah Um, well, I didn't know they had that many, but uh, <laughs> yeah, they could certainly afford them. 
Now, um, a couple of sort of yeah business uh, technology topics. Now, uh, la- la- last week was uh, the the launch from uh, SAP of their uh, their uh, cloud offering into the New Zealand market. Now, Bill, uh, you and I sort of went went along and, and heard a little bit about this. What's your sort of? Can you give it a sort of a quick sum up on uh, on what SAP are doing, yeah. uh, doing doing here, and how that's uh, relevant to uh, you know New, New Zealand businesses? And well, very quickly, SAP is uh, big software for big companies. Is generally the is generally how you describe them, and um, they they um, you know the various bits linked together. If you've got a large company with a large number of departments, and you're manufacturing and warehousing, and you know have staff and so on, all the bits get come together with a big ERP package that you get from a company like like um, SAP. But those packages cost tens of millions, typically to install in in um, in sizable organisations. Projects can go on for quite a while, and they're they're just very scary to smaller organizations because um you know typically they might take a year or more to implement and um it's just not for anyone in new zealand there's probably i don't know a few hundred potential customers at best for a company like that Mm. by moving it to the cloud all that becomes i mean all the um infrastructure side of it just goes away you just need a desktop to be able to get to it yeah because uh, I, I mean it's been such a big job to uh, you know yeah for a business to install a you know, system like sap that you know huge dollars involved but delivered from the cloud they you just say yeah. hey we, we've got 20 users here that we want to be able to access your software and they turn it on and you start using it and it's and it's so many dollars per month per user and it's and, it, and the sums involved are not huge either um and so what happens is it is that that kind of functionality can reach down to much smaller businesses now there's you know there's a question of whether a small business actually needs that functionality or wants it but there will be there will be some who would and really realistically can't implement that or afford it at the moment Mm, so for sap it probably trebles quadruples multi it certainly multiplies the size of the market that they can address um and it gives smaller companies an opportunity to get into their world um and they at the at the, i mean if you actually read their um their website they're talking about companies with as many as few as four or five people using it mm. well when we were at the um the launch that's not what the local people were saying they were saying well realistically you know we we're talking upwards of 20 yeah. 20 seats yeah yeah and um they're certainly not going for the micro business and i i think that makes a lot of sense actually mm. and i mean in in new zealand uh yeah the, there are lots and lots of businesses that fall well under that uh but yeah there's certainly a lot more businesses that are in that 20 range than uh those that are in the you know the yeah 500 plus or yeah 100 plus which is certainly probably where they would have uh where they would have been, uh, you know, in the past. So yeah, I think um, you know the the whole advent of uh, of cloud delivered, uh, you know, services like this, um, you know, gives businesses more uh, more options that they wouldn't have had in the past. It's definitely a good thing. I seem to remember them talking about something about an app store as well, which 
I kind of like the sound of that. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how uh, you know how how that how that looks. But uh, yeah, obviously, the, uh, you know, it's a niche and very different to a to a um, you know an iPhone app store with uh, what are they up to now? Uh, Nine hundred thousand uh, apps. I think Apple was saying the other day uh, they've got in their app store. Uh, but uh, yeah, certainly it, you know it gives businesses uh, yeah more options mm. for, uh, for for flexibility and customization and so on. Um, be able to use these these tools that other people have put together, and it brings the cloud a bit closer. It does indeed. Now, also uh, talking about cloud technologies, um, Alistair, you and I were uh, were in, in Sydney yesterday, um, courtesy of the uh, the folks at uh, at Hewlett Packard to hear a little bit about what they're calling uh, HP's converged cloud. Yeah, so they they've got a variety of different cloud products, and uh, they've got some really nice management tools for dealing with it. So the, the cloud products they've got are aimed at businesses that need to have more more computers and they don't want to, have to own them themselves. They want to pay for them as they use them. And they particularly don't want anything on their premises. They want the whole lot to belong to somebody else and be somebody else's problem. Yeah. Now, um, we, I guess, um, yeah, there's big players in the in the cloud era at the moment. You know, Amazon, very well known for, the, you know, for businesses using their cloud services. Uh, Microsoft, um, you know, Rackspace, is, you know, there's a, there's yeah, a range of yeah. uh, providers. I mean, what was what was it you know that uh, that stood out to you about cl- the offering from HP that is unique compared to those? Why why would anyone uh, you know look at what HP are doing when there are already you know a bunch of providers that have uh, that have been in the market for some time and are pretty well respected? I don't know there's a lot of uh, providers for baked beans as well, but we still get to choose which ones we want. So what you've got to look for is the differentiation. Amazon has, has gone for a, a race to the bottom. They've gone to be the cheapest provider of a virtual machine you can have, which is great if you build your applications for disposable VMs. And there's plenty of space in the, the market of it for organizations that want something that's not a disposable VM, that, that feel they, they want these are virtual machines, these are computers that run on top of clouds. They want something with a better quality of service, and we're definitely seeing differentiation in these cloud providers. And I think HP is, is playing a lot f- higher up in the cost and value chain than the, the Amazon end of things. And, and, and don't forget that HP has a strong customer base here which you know those people have a relationship with hp they know they know what they're getting well i mean good and bad when they deal with them and so um so you know it's nice for someone who's say a a, a committed hp customer to be able to be to be able to move to the cloud without actually having to go out and start again with relationships and um, and so on and there's another piece to it as well that hp don't just have this public cloud that sits in, in hp's yeah. data centers they the part of the, the whole point about the converged cloud is that you could have a cloud that is actually in your premises and that that you get the agility and the speed of deployment benefits of cloud without actually having to ship all of your data to some data center somewhere remote and then there's a third class that they called out which i was surprised you don't usually hear this one called out which is the community cloud where something like a group of organizations in the same market can choose to share a, a cloud infrastructure wow. because they share services. Now, it could be things like local government's been really big on shared services for the last 10 years. That, that having a, a, an infrastructure on which multiple shared services could be run is a community cr- cloud. And so they have thought through multiple cloud use 
same interface to manage the whole thing, the ability to take what you've built on-premises in your own offices and push it out to a public cloud, or go in the reverse, have your dev and mm. test environment in the public and pull it back into your private cloud when you run into production. And they were, yeah, they were talking about, yeah, this, uh, you know, the the converged cloud consisting of, you know, I guess, standard ways of being able to do, uh, I guess, a broad variety of things. So as you say, yeah, it might be, uh, you know, they need a, a a server to do one thing, could be on your premises, could be somewhere else, could be in their cloud. Uh, but even to the to the extent, because they've 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 gone down this, uh, um, the the open uh, approach uh, to it, uh, is maybe you actually you know, we'll use these same tools to actually push it out to somebody else's cloud that's nothing to do with, with HP, but, you know, there are going to be, uh, you know, consistent methods of being able to uh, mm. uh, interact with the cloud. So, Did uh, they talk about the kit at all, the um, kit well, behind? They don't, because you shouldn't care. As the consumer of the cloud, you should be buying a service level, not a piece of tin. Of course, they're not going to build it on somebody else's tin. It's all built on HP hardware that, that you could buy from but the shop. But they do have some quite interesting uh, new hardware if you want that localised cloud, don't they? Um, there was a particular, uh, rather a small uh, server that they were, uh, they were showing off. Were you thinking the micro server? Uh, or were you thinking Moonshot? Moonshot. Moonshot's a very cool thing. So this is, instead of um, what we, in conventional enterprise IT, tends to be build up a big infrastructure that is universally accessible but is, is quite expensive because of that, that universal accessibility, um, particularly shared storage kind of structures and virtualization builds on top of that and has caused lots of this to be deployed out. Moonshot goes completely the other way and they say in, in these rack mount server enclosures that in the past would hold one server, we can now put 45. They're all small, relatively low-power servers. So they use currently Atom CPUs or ARM CPUs instead of the big Xeons. They're smaller <laughs> than a laptop, aren't they? they these but servers they're are holding right. your you hand can, you can kind of size. I was going to say, they yeah. probably look like Ultrabooks. They, they slot into Vag- a... Vaguely, a, yeah. You know. and, and they're so condensed that they actually have to take some of the frame out to have space to put a hard drive in it. And it's a two-and-a-half-inch hard drive. So they, these things are pretty small. And the next generation is going to be even smaller. Yeah. But the, the point about them is that they do a single task. They are oriented towards being things like web servers where you want a, a sea of web servers to provide your, your service rather than one stonking big one where everything fails when it falls over. Isn't it interesting how these things go in cycles? Absolutely. Yeah. Everything <laughs> in IT is cyclic. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, I think that actually probably uh, that runs us to the end. We're, uh, we're, we're out of time. Uh, but I think we've actually covered a fair fair bit uh, this time around. So, and uh, we've thrown in a bit of uh, business uh, and enterprise uh, technology discussion, which we don't often uh, delve into. So, I enjoyed that. Um, thank you both for coming on the show. Now, Alistair, where do we uh, where do we track you down online? You're on uh, Twitter. So my uh, my brand is is Demitas, which is my company name. So you can find me as Demitas NZ. And you can find me at demitas.co.nz as my, my primary blog. I've got a number of other out, out, outputs that you can find from there. Great. That's good. And Bill, tell us about digital. Um, well, I'm moving from billbennett.co.nz to digital sort of slowly. Probably take me a couple of months to make yeah. the transition. Um, but you're still on Twitter at uh, still on Twitter. Bill, Bill Bennett NZ. Yep. Yeah. And will be, we'll be for the foreseeable. Um, and... As I, say, as I said earlier, we're rolling out slowly, getting into the news, gathering and um, getting things, getting the ball moving. Should be at speed by the end of August. 
um, and hopefully there'll be a, a lot of stories coming out. Um, I'm, I'm hoping to write three or four a day. That's good. Oh, well, looking forward to that. And, uh, of course, you can find uh, links to uh, to all of our Twitter handles, and, and mine is just at Paul Spain. Uh, but you can find those at nztechpodcast.com. Uh, and we we like to be liked on uh, facebook.com slash nztechpodcast. We're on, on Twitter at nztechpodcast. Uh, and you can also find us on Google Plus uh, as well. And uh, and you'll find NZ Tech on uh on LinkedIn, so we're uh, we're we're where you are, I guess you could say, uh, if you happen to be anywhere as far as social media is concerned. Otherwise, you can just um, listen to us through uh, through iTunes or or, or at nztechpodcast.com. So um, yeah, hopefully people can find us. And there's always Google if you get lost. <laughs> Uh, but if the Google fact that people are listening it. in anyway, I think uh, I think we've been found. So, hey, thanks everyone for for joining us again. Um, now we will be back next week at the uh, probably the more usual um, slot of, uh, of of being published uh, sometime on a Tuesday uh, evening. Uh, this week we we're we we're a little bit uh, delayed with uh, with uh, the um, the Sydney trip um, uh, throwing some spanner in the works. And uh, yeah, do do look out for our uh, our new business podcast uh, the. NZ Business Podcast. All right, catch ya. Bye.